Well, good morning, church family. I think, I think this morning is a good morning. And the reason I want to say that is because God is good and He is great. And I think that's something that we should pause just for a moment. Just for a moment, I want us to pause. And, and I want you to do me a favor, and I want you to bow your heads, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you for just this moment, I want you to ponder how great God has been to you. is great. It was just this past week that I, I was reading uh, in my own quiet time, and I came across Psalm 147.5, that verse that just came to my mind as we were singing that Great Are You, Lord song. And the thing, uh, there's two things that I love about that verse. I want you to still be pondering, still be pondering. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord. See, our God is a personal God. He cares about you specifically. The details even. Great is our Lord. And he goes on to say, He is abundant in power, which means He has more than enough. His power is overflowing which means he has more than enough to spare for you and for me because he's our Lord and he's a personal God. And his understanding is beyond measure, which means he already totally understands the situation that you are in, the paths you've taken to get here, as well as the things in your future that you don't even know are coming. He has complete understanding in this moment. And he has more than enough power to spare. Great is our Lord. And that's not even what we're talking about this morning, but that's just such an awesome thing. Can you guys give uh, Stephen Chandler a hand for, for leading us in worship? I know him, him and Kate and Rob, they did a fantastic job, especially on short notice with Jeff and Hannah kind of going on the vacay, you know. But, but I love the fact that, that that doesn't impede our ability to worship God here because it's not about a person, it's about Him, right? That's what worship is all about. That's what praise is all about. And I, I've never heard that last song we sang, but I love that line, being throned on the praises of a thousand generations. That's part of the legacy that we get to connect with when we come here to church or wherever you normally attend. And that's why, that's why coming to church is such an important thing. And, and, and don't hear me as saying you've got to come to revolution in this moment. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that's why God calls us to meet together. Because although God, our God is a personal God, He's a God of a thousand generations. And He has enough power to spare for more than just you, but for every single person who has ever lived or whoever will live. And when we come together in these moments, this is a time for us to get to praise God together. That we can lift Him high and enthrone Him on the praise of, of the people here this morning. But also so we can encourage one another, so we can uplift one another. And so I want you to do me a favor. If, 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 if you're new... This morning, just know that I'm new. This is like my sixth time being here, okay? So, so I know I'm starting to rack them up a little bit, but I'm still new. So if you're new, I'm new, and I would love to be able to meet with you guys, okay? So after the service, I'm going to hang out right around here, and just I'd love it if you would just kind of come up, introduce yourself to me. I'll try to introduce myself to you, you know? Um, but man, that's why we come to church. We come to church to praise God, but also to encourage each other. So listen... As, as we kind of move forward in, in our revolutionary series, that's, that's, that's the series we've been in uh, since June 3rd, okay? And, and, and it's essentially a walkthrough of the letter of 1 Peter. And specifically, the reason I call it revolutionary is because we've been looking at various concepts that Peter calls us to that are revolutionary 
in our culture today. Meaning there are things that go against the grain of our culture. There are things that, 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 that differ from the norm of our Western world. And over the past several weeks, we've, we've looked at concepts like grace and how grace is the limitless love of God for undeserving people. And it's a revolutionary concept because it is not popular today to tell anyone that they are undeserving. We believe we're all worth something, and, 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 our, and, and we tie our value to, to who we are, what we know, what we have, yes. But all of us believe every single person is a good person and deserves the grace and love of God. But that demeans and detracts from the glory of God's grace because none of us deserve it, and he chose to love us anyway. That's the grace of God. We talked about truth and how, and how truth demands something of us. It demands that we alter the way we live our life. It demands that we believe it, that we share it, that we speak it. And that goes against the grain of our culture, where we believe truth is subjective and it's, and it's to the individual. And it shouldn't ever cause someone to feel like they have to change or do something different. But that's not what the Word of God shows us. We are all in need of truth. And last week we even talked about identity and how our identity is found in the work of Jesus, not in what we do here on this, on this earth, not in the stuff that we've amassed for ourselves, not in what our parents or our coworkers say about us. Our value is set and determined by what God was willing to pay for us. And that was the infinite precious glory of his own son, Jesus. That's what sets your value. And so these, these concepts have all been revolutionary. And this morning, I need you to pray for me. Because today and next week, we're going to be talking about submission. And so I'm kind of comically asking you to pray for me, but in reality, I mean it. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray for us in this moment. I want you to pray for you during this whole next week as, as maybe we, we, we mull over this passage in 1 Peter, but also as we look towards the passage we're going to get to. And so this morning we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11. All right? And we're going to go, we're going to, go to verse, uh, probably about verse 17. But next week we're going to be looking at chapter 3. And both of these chapters are linked by this concept of submission. And it's, it's a very delicate topic, because in our day, today, we don't like the word submission, because it carries a, a negative connotation. When you think of the word submit, you think of the concept of two MMA fighters going at it, one of them gets the other into a submission hold, and he taps. And in so doing, he, he proclaims by his actions that the other fighter is greater, stronger, and that he is weaker and more inferior. And so when we think of the word submission, we have these kind of negative thoughts in our minds, and it causes us to not to want to submit to anything or anyone because we believe it somehow communicates something about our identity and we lose value or worth or, or whatever. But that's not true. And so the concept we're going to see in chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 11, is this. God calls every believer to humble submission. This isn't something that's specific for individuals. Before Peter gets to the moment of talking about servants and masters or, or, or husbands and wives, he first starts with everyone. And God calls every single believer to humble submission. And so go ahead, start to look down in verse 11. I want you to see, see that verse and I'm just going to read the first couple of words before we kind of dive in. But it starts in verse 11 by saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And so I want, what I want you to notice is in this verse, in, in, in verse 11, Peter moves from what's been happening previously 
in chapter 1 and 2 of 1 Peter, where he was talking about doctrine and theology and, and things that we need to believe because they are true and correct, okay? Like when we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit or, or who Jesus was and what he did or the role of the Father, when we talked about grace and salvation and even identity, all of those things were doctrine-related. And now for the, the, the latter half of this letter, Peter is going to, in light of what we believe, in light of the truth of God's word, he's going to call us to some very specific actions. You see, every doctrine in the Bible has a practical application. And if the first thing that we learned was that God is the God of all, the ruler, the, 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 the authority in our universe, then any time he calls us to believe something, any time he calls us to change something or to do something, there's going to have to be a moment where we as believers submit to him. Does this make sense? And that's why I say that God calls every believer to humble submission. And so this morning I want you to kind of bear with me. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of do a little bit more teaching than preaching because I think it's important, but I also want to make sure that we handle the, the topic kind of delicately, especially next week when we look at marriage and how submission uh, it's talked about from God's word in marriage. And so what I want to do right now is I want to invite you guys to pray with me if we could do that. In the name of the true Lord Jesus Christ, God, I ask that you would already be invading our personal bubble. That you would, that you would be filling us with your Holy Spirit as believers. Leading us to conviction of sin and righteousness. God, that you would show us something from your word. God, I say it all the time, but I believe it. God, that this is your word, which means as we open it, there's something you want to say to us. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that you would remove distractions in this moment, that you would remove uh, any sense of uncomfortability, and that you would allow us privately in our chairs to be, to be thinking of, of you, your word, and what you're calling us to do. So Holy Spirit, speak. Speak through me, speak through your word, and speak to us. God, show us what it means to humbly submit to your leadership, regardless of the situation we're in, regardless of the people that means we have to yield to. God, give us your grace and give us your power in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, so if you'll look down in verse 11 and 12, I, I just want to real fast, before I give you some, some kind of general principles uh, of, of humble submission in this passage, I want you to see in, the, in these two verses, in verse 11 and 12, I want you guys to see where I get that claim from. Okay? We talked about how it was written to all the sojourners. We talked about how it was written to all of the exiles, but let's read it. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So in verse 11, when he calls out the exiles, it links it back to chapter 1. That was the first verse we ever talked about that first week. Remember? When Peter called out who he was writing to, and Peter is the apostle who's writing this letter, and he said, to those elect exiles of the dispersion. And so he was talking to these, this, this group of believers who had been scattered from Jerusalem. They had been scattered from what they had known. They had been exiled into a region known as modern-day Turkey, where they had to leave behind stuff, homes, people that they loved, Right? And now they're there in the midst of a culture and a government that disagrees with the way they live their lives and with the things that they believe. Does this make sense? They were swallowed up by essentially an alien and pagan culture. And so Peter is, is, is encouraging them with this entire letter, especially now though, as we get to verse 11, on how they should live in light of that culture. Okay? 
And so the first thing that he calls them to, he says, I urge you as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And if we're going to be talking this entire morning about what it looks like to submit and what it means to, to, to have humble submission, we're going to have to start with that statement, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. You see, submission always leads to the denial of self and to the pursuit of another's good. And that's key to what we're talking about. Because when Paul urges these believers to to wage war against the passions of their flesh, the opposite of submission is selfish pride. And so whenever we encounter people that, that are offended by us or maybe, or maybe seek to slander us, if we're not careful, what's going what's to rile up in us is pride. And we'll repay evil for evil. You don't have to teach a kid that. You know, somebody, somebody comes up, walks up to him and slaps him in the face. The immediate next response is to punch him with a closed fist, Right? It always, it always escalates, but there's always this sense of self-defense that, oh, well, if you started this, then I'm sure going to end this, right? And that's that sin nature that kind of wells up. We've all, look, we've all experienced this. Don't try to act in this moment like this has never happened to you. It's, it's, it's a common theme in every single human being, a sense of pride, a sense of self-value and worth. And when we feel slighted, we respond. And that's why it's important that we see this as a revolutionary concept because God calls every believer to humbly submit rather than to respond in pride. And so I want you to see this this statement to abstain from the passions of the flesh as the general call to all of us who believe in Jesus. Because we, we abstain from our pride and the, and, the, and the passions of our flesh because God commands us to. And so at its core, all Christian submission, regardless of who it's directed towards, is really submission to the will of God. Webster's defines submission in this way. To yield to the will or authority of another. Make sense? And so at its core... What it looks like for us is to yield to the authority of God and the will of God in our lives, regardless of what situation we are in or where we find ourselves. And so that's important because it's about to frame the whole rest of the passage, so I want to make sure that you see that. So, so as, we, as we kind of come to the rest of these verses, I want you to, I want you to, to hear these words, and I'm going to paint a picture for you of three, three principles that kind of scream off the page to me about what humble submission looks like, all right? And as we read, you might see more, and that's a great thing. What I'd love, honestly, is if you, if you find another or you see another principle for submission, I want you to do me a favor. Email me this week, okay, or text me if you've got my number. But my email is simply pastoraj at betherevolution.com. Simple, right? So if you see another principle for submission in this passage, or maybe you read in the next week, the, the next few verses even. Just email or text me, okay? Because we're talking about submission again, and I'd love to hear some of your thoughts of what the Holy Spirit shows you. But here are some of the things that I, I see. But before we get there, let's read. So start in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to be, the, to be it to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Why? For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a means to cover up evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And honor Donald Trump. (laughs) Or as it says, honor the emperor. 
So, so th- this entire passage is talking about this concept of submission. And God has called all of us to humble submission. And so I want to alleviate some fears maybe in this moment. I am not going to commentate on the state of our government or the politics in America. That's not what I'm going to do. But what I am going to do is show you that God calls us to humbly submit. And the first principle I want you to see is that means to honor everyone. To honor everyone. You heard me read those exact words in verse 17, but it's all throughout this passage. But look at the first two words of verse 17. What does it say, church? Honor everyone, right? And so that's the first principle of of humble submission that I want you to notice. And so as as Peter puts this verse as like a bookend to this whole passage, there are four commandments round up in that. There's honor Everyone, there's love, the brotherhood, there's fear of God, and there's honor of the emperor, because obviously they need to be reminded that that means even Nero. And so in this moment, before we even really die into this, or dive into this as a general principle, I just want you to notice that he capstones that verse with honor and honor. Honor in general, everyone, and honor specifically those who are in charge of your government. Okay? And that's important because the next time you think to yourself that, man, America has it good or bad, I want you to remember that when Peter and Paul in Romans chapter 14 call us to honor and submit to the governing authorities that God has placed over us, they do so in light of the emperor Nero. And for those of you who aren't history buffs, this man was literally famous for being crazy. He's he's one of those emperors that really started the intense persecution of Christian believers. He's famous for crucifying Christians, lighting them on fire to illuminate his garden at night. All right? And so just keep that thought in your mind that when Peter calls us to honor everyone, and especially, specifically, the emperor, he's talking about that man. And so when we look at our own governmental situation or the state of America, that means Obama, that means Trump, and that means whoever else comes next. Honor everyone. The first principle. So I want to talk to you for a second, though, about what that verb means. Okay? When you come to this word honor in the Greek, it's simple. All right? The verb is simple. It means to be respectful. It means to respect. All right? But the command is difficult because of what that entails. It's easy for us to say to respect someone else, or it's easy for us to say that we do respect someone else. But it's another thing when it has to come out in our actions, when it has to come out in our attitudes. And that is an important quality of what Peter is calling us to when he says to honor. So yes, it means to be respectful, okay? But more than this, it means to show or to ascribe value, worth. So it's not just a matter of of not saying anything that's not nice, okay? Not saying. It's not a matter of, of, (laughs) of not saying nice things or bad things. Whatever I'm trying to say in this moment. Okay? It's a matter of your disposition. It's not just a matter of how you keep your mouth shut when you might want to rail on someone. Okay? It's a matter of your attitude towards them every single day. And when Peter calls us to humble submission to God, that looks like honoring everyone, ascribing to them value or worth. And that's huge. Because remember, we have to abstain and wage war against the passions of our flesh. That selfish pride that sees ourselves as the highest thing on the face of the planet. That causes us to dislike our bosses when they micromanage us and it makes us feel inferior or like we don't know what we're doing even though we know we do. It means we have to ascribe value to that boss. So as your coworkers complain about how he always micromanages, 
or her. Your boss might be a lady. Okay? It means you ascribe to them value. You don't join in in the slander and the gossip. You don't demean their character because you're submitting to God who commands you to honor everyone. The same is true for your parents, young people. Even when they, even when they, they uh, make it hard on you, perhaps, you're called to ascribe to them value. Same thing is true of spouses. We'll talk about this next week, but I've got to say it now, too. That means, guys, when, you, when you're with your fellows, you're not dissing your wife. You're not, you're not demeaning her value, even when she's not there and you feel safe because they do it about their wives. You're ascribing to her value. I'll never forget, I did this one time that I can remember. I'm sure there's more. I did this one time. I was with my friends. Taylor was there. And, uh, and I mentioned something. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even big. I mentioned something about like, just like an argument or like a whatever that Melinda and I had. And I will never forget that our friend Lawson Harlow said, why would you ever talk about your wife like that to us? And I promise you, promise to God, it wasn't even this huge thing, okay? It was something small. And that felt like this slap across the face, and I've never done it again, to my knowledge. Because I realized the truth. I am supposed to ascribe to Melinda value every single day with every word that I say in every conversation that I have. And so that means even to the spouse, and I love Melinda, but that means even to the spouse you don't like. That means even to the spouse that makes it difficult. That means even to the the co-worker or the friend who makes it hard. We're supposed to honor them by showing them honor. And that's different. When I first took over as the Young Families Pastor several years ago, back at Carville, my previous church, that means I was the kids' pastor, just so we're clear. Young Families is kind of ambiguous. Everyone in here is a young family, right? But but that means I was specifically in charge of children. And I I will always remember after the fourth week when the newness of me wore off and the kids now all of a sudden realized I was a goofy guy and therefore I was there to have fun, they stopped listening to me in a large group situation. And I can remember, yeah, y'all laugh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can remember, though, like, but we've got to keep us on track. There's this, I, I need to make this point, so I've got to get their attention. So I'm sitting here like, you know, like, okay, guys, you know, let's listen and stuff, you know, whatever. And, and I remember that one of these teachers, one of my helpers, she took me aside and she said, listen, next time, next time, why don't you try this? Instead of asking them to listen to you, why don't you ask them to show you what listening looks like? changed my life, guys. (laughs) Who knew that every single kid knows that listening looks like being quiet and eyes forward, okay? But it's true. And so it changed the way that I talked to them, and I learned a very valuable lesson. But this morning, it applies to us as well. That when we come to this concept of honoring everyone, what that verb means to ascribe value to, what it really means is show them their value. Show them honor. And that's why I said it's not just about not saying something rude. It's also about how you view them and how you lead other people to view them. Okay? So just bear that in mind. I realize that might be difficult, okay? But that's what Peter calls us to. And the reason is because God calls every believer to humble submission. So that's the first principle is to honor everyone. You see it in verse 17, but you also see it in verse 12. All right? Well, we've already read that several times. Just keep your conduct honorable. But here's the second principle I want you to see that's coming out of this passage. And that is you're supposed to win people by your conduct. So the first principle of humble submission is to honor everyone, but the second is to win people by your conduct. Back up to verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This second principle reveals the end goal for why you should submit to God and therefore governing authorities, your boss, 
your mom, your dad. The end goal is that you would win people by your conduct and how you live. When you see that word conduct, it simply means the pattern of living, the pattern of your life, how you live day by day. It's the daily stuff. It's not, it's not the face you put on for a moment with a friend you haven't seen in a while, so you want them to kind of get the best side of you, okay? It's the heart you have every single day and how that plays out in your actions and how you live. Win people by your conduct, your pattern of living. Let me ask you a question. And this is where I might step on some toes. And I don't want you to answer out loud because then it would feel like that. Instead, I would prefer for you just to be beat up by the same question that beat me up all week long. Okay? Is that fair? And this is for you. Remember, we prayed in the beginning that the Holy Spirit would communicate to you. Here's the question. If I were to ask your spouse, your coworkers, or your boss to describe your pattern of living, would they paint for me a picture of Jesus and the gospel? Teenagers, if I was to ask your mom about your pattern of living, would they paint for me a picture of Jesus in the gospel? That's how important our conduct is. I hope that question feels weighty because it's not a matter of just not saying mean things. It's a matter of, it's a matter of showing honor. It's a matter of showing and living out humble submission every single day. I want you to notice that there's a reason for why we should do this, though. And the reason is that this is the only defense that we as believers have against a culture that every single day falls further and further away from truth and biblical morality. Look at verse 12 as to why you should keep your conduct honorable. Look at it. Here's what it says. That they may see your good deeds, yes, but let's back up, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and then glorify God. This is the only defense you have against that micromanaging boss. This is the only defense you have against those cutthroat co-workers that are just trying to get a leg up on you, looking for every little mistake you might make. This is the only defense you have against a culture that slams Christianity as being bigoted or hateful. Your conduct is your defense. And if you are keeping meaning to guard your conduct... If you are keeping your conduct, your pattern of life every day, honorable, loving, then their words and their slander will fall on deaf ears because people will know your character. All right? Your character is your only defense against this world. And I, I, I wrote this because I think it's, it's so huge. Listen. Peter exhorts believers to guard their conduct because our pure conduct, when it outshines the world's slander, God is seen as glorious. You see, it's not about you. God's glory is on the line. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. It's not about you. It's God's glory that is on the line. So win people by your conduct. That means you must act a little differently. You cannot always live the way you might want to live. In fact, if the way you, you want to act and operate and live seems to constantly come up against friction and causes you to, to view people in a negative way or a sinful way, then maybe you should even pray that God changes your heart. Because that is huge. Your conduct comes from your heart. And here's a statement I couldn't lose this week. 
If our belief in Jesus is not real enough to change the way we live or act, then our belief in Jesus is not real enough to save anyone. I want that to sink in for a moment because it had to sink into my mind. If your belief in Jesus isn't real enough to change you or to cause you to submit to what God would have you live like, then it ain't real enough to save you from your sin. And that's, that's big. And there should be a moment right here where, where we look back and we think about how our conduct has looked this past week or this past month. And hopefully I'm not alone. Maybe you're like me and you realize your conduct was not becoming of a Christian. And so God is calling all of us to repent of that. To repent of the way we talk about our friend, our coworker, our boss, our spouse. To repent of the way we act towards uh, our, our government, the speed limit, Trump. Obama, whatever your hot button topic is. I feel like I could just say 50 words and it would hit somebody in this room. You know what I'm saying? But your belief in Jesus should be so real that you're willing to submit to him and live your life in such a way as to win people by your conduct. More than this, look in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We have so many Christians, wannabe Christians out there today, who claim to follow Christ, who act like jerks, and they slander people. They are hateful. That it paints this terrible picture of Jesus. It it paints this terrible picture of, of what it means to be a believer. And listen, it's cliche, but it's true straight from the 90s. You may be the only Jesus anyone ever actually sees. So your conduct matters. So this morning, like me, please pray that God changes your heart and thereby changes your conduct, to honor everyone, to love the brotherhood, to fear God, and to honor Trump. All right? Those are the first two principles, and they are important. I was talking to Dan this morning about some of the opportunities he's had to to witness to people on, on the job, even to the extent of potentially uh, receiving a reprimand from his boss, or in his case, the entire corporate vice president of HR, of all of the Home Depots, as he said. Okay? And it reminded me of a time in my life when I was at Southwest Community College because I was too poor to go anywhere else. But it's okay because I met my beautiful wife there and we got married. But it reminded me of a friend that I, that I used to have. He was a, a flaming agnostic, which means he was angry. He was angry at the church. He was angry at Christians. I'll never forget the first time I ever saw him was actually in this open mic night where he gets up and he shares this spoken word. And I'm talking, he's just like roaring. Like, and he's loud. He's angry. There's like spit flying out of his mouth. And it's all about how terrible Christians are. I was like, man, I don't ever want to talk to this guy. That's pretty crazy. So we ended up friends, very good friends. Because I guess God just, like, my first thought was, I'm not going to talk to him. And God's thought was, that's the whole reason I brought you to Southwest, to meet Melinda and to talk to Ted Kritz, okay? And, and I remember, just, just to give you the spoiler, he never, ever gave his life to Jesus, just so we're clear. But I did spend upwards of six hours on a Valentine's Day at a bar sharing the gospel with this man. All right? But it was a pattern of the way that I lived. I, I'll never forget that he came over and introduced himself to me. And as we were talking, at the very end of the conversation, he's like, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, why do you say that? 
And it's because I didn't cuss one single time while we were having the conversation. I know, super cliche. But for a guy who drops an F-bomb every other word, I mean, I guess it was a pretty stark contrast to him. But I can remember through our our relationship, there was eventually a moment where I did not exude conduct in my pattern of living that was becoming of a Christ follower, and I got called out by an angry agnostic. Maybe, I, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, whether it was me making some kind of judgmental statement about somebody I saw or whatever, or if I was just responding to something in anger because I was having a bad day. Who knows? Who cares? I just remember he called me on. He said, is that, I mean, isn't that like against the Bible? Would Jesus really want you like talking like that? And man, the Holy Spirit crushed me from the mouth of a non-believing, angry, agnostic person. And I remember being flabbergasted and then saying, you're right. I'm so sorry that I just did that. He calls me up two days later and he says, dude, I, just, it couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my mind that you apologized for me based on something that you had said. Again, spoiler, he doesn't give his life to Jesus. Well, maybe he has. I do pray for him a lot. But in that moment, he saw my conduct, and it caused him to have a more positive view of what God was actually like. Like, here's why. It's not about how many times you've messed up. It's about what you do in response to your mess up. It's not about how often you've sinned and you think through, maybe as we're talking about your spouse or your boss or your coworkers, and you're viewing yourself through the lens of them and you suddenly see yourself as this person who clearly is not a loving Christian and all of a sudden you start to feel bad about yourself and you maybe want me to shut up a little bit. It's not about that. It's about what you do now. You can repent now. You can go back and apologize now or tomorrow. Hopefully you don't work today. That is part of your conduct because it's a pattern of how you live your life. So that's the second principle. And the reason is so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God, win people by your conduct. But here is the, the third principle. I promise I'm trying to, trying to get us through this. That's why I said I had to write this stuff down. All right? The third principle is this, because at this point you're probably thinking of some difficult situations or maybe even where your boss or the government or somebody even commanded you or called you to do something that was wrong. Third principle, yield, accept when commanded to sin. There is an exemption clause from humble submission that God gives in the Bible. That is to yield in all things to those that God has ordained to be above you. Every human institution, in verse 13. Every human institution. We're to humbly submit because God calls us to submit. And we are to yield to the will of God and thereby the will or authority of our government or our boss or our spouse except when they command you to sin. I want you to see this in Scripture. Look down at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Why can I say there's an exemption clause? Because God's the one who ordained government and he ordained it for the good of people. To uphold order to protect, to provide, to give safety to people. And when the government starts to to move away from its God-ordained purpose and it starts to demand that a Christian alter its way of living and deny what God has called us to do, you are given an exemption clause because it is better for you to obey God than to obey man. And the reason I can say Peter believes this is if you were to turn to Acts chapter 5, you would see this. In Acts chapter 5, the the, the Jewish governing authorities, their ruling council, 
had commanded Peter and the other apostles to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And so I want you to turn. I think we've got it on the screens to Acts chapter 5, verse 27, because I want you to see this, where the exemption clause comes from. And this is what it says in verse 27. And when they had brought them, the apostles, they set them before the council, and the high priest, their governing person, questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter always speaking first. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness to sins. We must obey God rather than men. And so I don't want you to miss this. Humble submission does not mean mindless obedience. And this is going to become very important for next week. But it is still important for every single believer because God has called every believer to humble submission. And it's not mindless obedience when he tells you to submit to the governing authorities. It's not mindless obedience when later on in this chapter he tells servants to submit to their masters, even masters who are unkind and hateful. It's not mindless obedience. It's not a sense of inferiority. It doesn't mean you're weaker. It doesn't mean that you're less important. Because remember, the entire purpose of your submission is to win people by your conduct, to honor everyone. And you're to yield except when commanded to sin. Because it is better to obey God rather than man. If you remember, I I made this statement earlier in reference to submission. I said it always leads to the denial of self, but also to the pursuit of another's good. And sometimes it is the greatest good for you to stand for truth, even when it's not popular. You can do so in a respectful way. That's why he commands us to honor everyone. You can do it in a respectful way. But sometimes it is the greatest good for you to speak truth in a situation. To not allow people to slander what you know to be good. And our God is good. Yield except when commanded to sin. This goes for work. This goes for home. It's not about feeling inferior. It's not about feeling weaker. It takes the stronger person to submit themselves. Jesus, the God of the universe, the strongest being in existence, submitted himself to God the Father. And he permitted himself to be born as a baby who needed his diapers changed, to be a teenager who got acne, to knowing that he was the son of God, so he stays in the temple, but then mom and dad, Joseph and Mary, get a little agitated because he didn't tell them where he was going, and so he goes back with them, feeling chastised, I'm sure, but he's the God of the universe, submitted to the will of the Father, in the pursuit of our good. That's the gospel. That Jesus died after living a perfect life. But that he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave. And he secures your future and your good by that sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate example of humble submission. He submits in the face of the governing authorities of that day. When questioned about paying taxes, he pays them. But it didn't stop him from speaking truth, did it? And oftentimes there were moments when he would say things that even to us might have sounded really offensive, but Jesus did not censor himself when it was time to speak the truth. Because sometimes it's the greatest good to stand for that which is true, even when it's not popular.
So these are three principles that I've seen in this passage. I've invited you to, as, as you pray about it, as you read the next section, in the next section, hopefully this next week, let these things mull over in your mind. And if you come across something else, send it my way. I'd love to hear what the Holy Spirit is showing you. But the truth, the revolutionary truth this morning, is that God calls every believer to humble submission. And so I've got three, three questions I want us to ponder as I invite Stephen, Kate, and Rob to kind of come back up here. And they're going to lead us in, in one final song so that we have a moment to, to, to respond to the Word of God. I always believe we have to have a moment of response. So, so this morning it's a little different. That's why I said it was going to be more teaching than just preaching. It was, going to, it was going to have to deal with a delicate topic. And So here's three questions I want you to ponder. I want you to find maybe yourself in these questions because any time you open this word of God, he has something he wants to say. And this morning, I believe that he's trying to get through to very, to probably the, mo- the majority of us. The first question is, is there someone who you need to show honor to? Is there someone you need to show honor to? To show them? to ascribe value or worth. Maybe for you, you need to go back and repent or ask forgiveness to to someone else because you were demeaning someone that they knew. Like, win people by your conduct. That's the first question. The second, do you need to repent for the conduct of your life this past week or month? Where your conduct, your day-to-day pattern of living was not right. Then repent. This is your moment. Third and final question is more general because I can't ever pretend to know what God might be trying to do. And the third question is, what is God calling you to do now? In light of the Word of God and the call of God, to humbly submit. What is God calling you to do? Let's pray.